You know, this book of Philippians that we're in is definitely uh, putting that in the forefront. And uh, as I try to wipe all these cables away. Anyway, really good to see you. And uh, as we proceed in our Philippians passage, uh, there's a little story that I think of that's a shipwrecked man. And he managed to make it to this small little island, uninhabited island. And he was the only one there. He was able to uh, build a hut, used skills to do that. And he was pretty proud of that little hut. And uh, then one day he was out scrounging for food like he was constantly. And uh, all of a sudden he looked up and he noticed his hut from way afar was up in flames. It was burning. It was a disaster. I mean, it looked like an absolute disaster. Everything that he had was burnt up. And what an advantage this was. He said, how can you say that? This is a good thing. Uh, because early, the, the following morning, he uh, woke up, found a ship that was just anchored off of that island. And uh, the captain came upon the island there and uh, stepped up to him as he was on the shore. And he explained that they saw the signal that had been given that previous day. It was a smoke signal. And they finally got there, and there it was. Everything that the man owned was destroyed, but he was rescued. And uh, that's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? Have you ever heard of that phrase, blessing in disguise? Uh, it's, uh, I don't know if that phrase is in Scripture that I know of, but I do know that um, we definitely have a lot of blessings in disguise. Things that look bad actually work out for good. And we know that that's scriptural. That's good news, isn't it? Even the bad things God can use for good. And we know that He's in control of all of our circumstances. That's a, another key word today, circumstances. Circumstances usually don't sound good when you say that word, right? Just circumstance in itself. But uh, we spend so much tra- uh, time in trying to change our circumstances instead of just taking joy in them. And I know that sounds backwards because if it's a bad circumstance, why would you take joy in it? Well, that's why Paul wrote this book of Philippians and uh, throughout much of Scripture anyway. But uh, we know because of this joy and this being the theme, the Apostle Paul put joy on display in spite of his circumstances that he was involved with, which were not favorable all the time, were they? We see a lot of unfavorable circumstances. When one has joy, no matter the adversity, you know that there's a true inner rejoicing that's happening. Even though you don't feel at ease and real comfortable with things, yet down deep, inside, you have a joy that is unspeakable. And nobody can understand that. It's because you have a right perspective. Because you start to see it the way that God sees it rather than the way your own eyes see it. And now, your circumstances don't rob the joy that you actually are supposed to have if we'd concentrate on Him. Paul, uh, in, in his joy, never depended on his possessions, never depended upon his prestige, his reputation, his outward success, never depended on all those things that we would think of. 
Never depended upon his job. He was a tent maker sometimes. Probably sometimes he'd make the tents and maybe he didn't have anybody to sell to. But that didn't have anything to determine as far as his joy was concerned. And, most of all, he didn't rely upon his freedom or lack of freedom for his joy. And that's what we'll be talking about today. Um, there is joy in our ministry all the ministries that each one of us have, even despite adversity, as long as the gospel is being advanced, we have every reason to be excited because the gospel is being advanced. That is what it's about. It's all about the glory of God. We say, oh, oh, wow, that commercial. I forgot the V8. No, we really have to remember we have the key. The key is, well, it's Scripture. It's the glory of God. That's the reason things happen the way that they happen. And we want that gospel to go out. And Paul was imprisoned in Rome where he couldn't get out on the streets and the highways and the byways. He was imprisoned. And so he wasn't able to do what he was usually doing. And that's okay. God has a plan. So in this section that we're going to have today in verses 12 through 18, Paul is having to explain to the Philippians the problem that they don't quite understand. And so 12 through 18 gives us that explanation. Uh, Philippians are deeply concerned. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, this is the powerful Apostle, the great evangelist, the, the great preacher that he was, and he's, he's in a suffering situation in, in that he is uh, he's there, he's not under a, uh, uh, like a punishment, but uh, there are reasons which we'll get into, but he's not able to do what he would ordinarily do. Uh, he's the best of the apostles. I mean, as far as doing what he's doing here, Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Have you ever said that? It doesn't make sense because it's, it's, it just seems like God would use this situation. And boy, a perfect illustration I can think of when a, when a Christian bookstore has to leave a town and think it doesn't make sense at this day and time. Why would God do that? God, what are you doing? We, we need this. Christian bookstore here that sells Bibles and books and we can give answers to people. And we could, we could ask that. But the fact of the matter is, he's in charge of all this. <laughs> and so, uh, this is really applicable. As I was studying through this passage, it couldn't have meant more to me as I really thought about it. And I go, wow, I'm really, really being asked to uh, uh, do this first of all, in my own life before I bring it out to you. What good is it if I don't experience something and I just say something that's theological, that sounds right, but when, you, when you're going through it or have gone through those things, there is meaning to it. And sometimes things just don't make sense. God doesn't make sense in the flesh, does He? There are things that we don't understand. God, He's the best of the apostles. Look what He's done in this part of the world. Look, people's lives have been changed and how many more thousands of lives are going to be changed because of Him? He's the last guy you'd want in jail, right God? Why? Now, Paul gives the answers to the questions that are running through the minds of the Philippians. Christian people who are saying, why would God do this? 
This is Paul. Paul writes. Now, let's stand and let's get to that section 12 through 18 and let's see why this was written. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, remember that word, have turned out for the greater progress of the Gospel so that my imprisonment, get that, in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from Indian strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this passage today. How much meaning it has, not only for me, but everyone standing in this auditorium today and throughout all the rest of the body of Christ all over the world. It does apply to us as something that not only is historical, but also to us. And um, we also pray for Zach Whitson as he delivers a message at uh, another church today uh, that uh, that uh, he would be able to preach the Word with power and that lives would be changed as he's preaching it there. And uh, so we, we're thankful for that, a ministry that gets to go out to uh, other people and as we stretch out to uh, the communities around. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We'll get to our Scripture. Starting in verse 12. Did you see the explanation? Why the Philippians were wondering what's going on. Boy, don't we do that a lot? What's going on? What's going on in my life? What's happening here? I don't understand this. Oh boy. Let me remind you of the circumstances here. He's a prisoner in Rome for a number of years. He had longed to go to Rome. He had desired to go to Rome. If you remember, oh, if I can get to Rome. And Paul is in Rome. Now he's there. (laughs) The long time desire has come true. He just got there in a different way than he expected to get there. (laughs) And we can say those conditions were not what he designed. Paul didn't have this in mind. When he desired to go to Rome, uh, you'll look in Romans 1, chapter 10. He wrote to them at one time. He wasn't in Rome when he wrote this. He was somewhere else. But his desire was to go see them. It says in verse 10, Always in my prayers making request that perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Well, the prayer was answered. The word succeed is the problem. When we see succeed, we're thinking of everything positive and everything goes our way. But he qualified it by the will of God. Uh, that was the only problem with Paul. He prayed the will of God, and the will of God came true. And so he had to suffer some uh, serious situations. Uh, I think one translation says, I hope to have a prosperous journey to come to you. A prosperous journey to come to you. Well, it didn't seem prosperous. Uh, it's not the way it worked out. He came as a prisoner. <laughs> he came to Rome as a prisoner. And the journey was not without some kind of tremendous difficulty. You remember on his way there, he was in a shipwreck. 
Uh, have you ever been in a shipwreck? I haven't. I'll tell you what, I've seen movies about it and I wouldn't want to be in a shipwreck. And Can you imagine being out in the waters, cold waters, hanging on for your life? You know, but, you know, he was wrecked. He had to swim for his life at the end. This is the Apostle Paul. Everything should go right for the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's living a good Christian life. He's filled with the Spirit. He knows the Word of God. He writes the Word of God. So everything should flow. He should have his best life now. Everything should go perfect. And it should be absolutely without any difficulty in any kind of circumstances. That kind of philosophy... That kind of religion, that kind of teaching in the church today is despicable because it's not scriptural. It wasn't Jesus' way. It wasn't the Apostle Paul's way. It wasn't any of the apostles. Ask them. <laughs> look at history. Look at, the, look at Scripture. It doesn't work that way. We will have adversity. Anyone who desires to live godly in this life will be persecuted even. That means there will be troubles. Troubles. Jesus said there will be troubles in this world. But we have something more that's much better. He was in prison not so much as punishment for what he had done, but actually protection because the crowd was going to try to lynch him. And they were hostile. He had been preaching the Gospel. He was preaching the Gospel in the wrong place. That was being uh, Israel, for instance. Uh, Jewish area. And uh, they could have executed him. So the Romans, afraid to let him go because of the crowd and its hostility, they're afraid of the political realm involved here, and you have Paul out there running loose, it's going to cause some kind of foment in the occupied territory of Israel. They must keep him incarcerated. You remember he was in Caesarea. He was in prison there for a couple of years. Finally, uh, he makes the appeal. He gets to go to Rome. When he makes that appeal, appeals to Caesar. And he has two years of languishing there. Slow court system. Sounds like ours. <laughs> Caesarean prison. Now Roman prison. He's put on a ship to Rome. Uh, when he arrives at Rome after that shipwreck, he's destined to, to stay there a couple of years. Two-year imprisonment. And he writes the prison epistles. The great prison epistles. He had time to sit down and write those great letters. And one of them happens to be right in your face right there, the book of Philippians. What a gift that is. Uh, a preliminary hearing is what he was after. And uh, there was a hearing set up which time he would defend himself. Matter of fact, defend the Gospel. We looked at that kind of last week. Uh, verse 7 kind of uh, alluded to that where he mentions his imprisonment and his defense and confirmation of the Gospel. So he's not only a prisoner, he's in a private situation with a guard. And the guard is chained to him, a short chain. And the guard uh, goes six hours. And then you have another guard for six hours. And another guard for six hours. Another guard. Now how many hours is that? That's 24 hours, four guards. Constantly chained to a guard. That's great. Guards would... Uh, Keep their change uh, up going always, and there was always there. So uh, they got to watch Paul. They got to see his courage. They got to see uh, his prayers that he had for them. Uh, they got to hear the gospel, and they got to see all sorts of characteristics about Paul, which were very biblical. 
he was a prisoner, but yet he was a prisoner in his own rented quarters, a rented house, as it says in Acts. People had access to go see him. And so he has the guards, he has people coming in, and he's in prison, but it's a different kind of prison. And this news gets to Philippi, that he's in prison. He's in Rome. He's a prisoner. Doesn't sound good. What, what are you doing, God? What, what, what's happening? I mean, this is the apostle. This is the great evangelist. This is the great preacher. Uh, why are you doing this? You can get him out. You're sovereign. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't get it. They loved him deeply. The Philippians don't quite understand. They're compassionate. They're sympathetic. And they should be. And it says here in our Philippians... Get to our text. So that's all the background that's happening. I, and I know you probably know that story. And if you don't, it's good to know that. Uh, otherwise, it's good to rehash it because now we can say, oh, I see why this section is really here now. Oh, that's right. That's right. He says, now I want you to know. I want you to know this. Brethren. Calls them brethren, doesn't he? He loves these people. That my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress. That's an interesting term there. A greater progress. It's better than what I had planned. This thing is really is really good. This is cool the way that God's worked this out. Paul got it. This means, the greater progress means to be moving forward no matter the obstacles. It's like a pioneer who sees all the trees and I understand from the East Coast all the way to the Mississippi River, there were enough trees that you could you could take a let's say uh, you could swing from one branch to another one, kind of like Tarzan, you know, without even touching the ground. You go from one tree to another. It was just trees all over, and uh, you know, pioneers had to clear those trees out of the way, didn't they, to make roads? They were hindrances, but they really weren't by the time they got done with them. They knocked them right out of the way. In spite of all those obstacles, it's like having a bulldozer today. You know, the bulldozer comes through there, knocks those trees down, they just keep on going. Or you think a tank. This is a good military illustration here. The tanks, and they're just going over every kind of obstacle, you know, and just munching them down, you know, right into the ground. They just keep on rolling. All the hindrances. In spite of the resistances, the gospel keeps on moving forward, advancing forward. Advance is good. So it's a military term or it's a term here. um, God is not shutting down the ministry. God is just coming along and just blowing everything down. He has a better plan than we do. Here, get on this caterpillar with me and watch this. So, you know, instead of Paul coming down there and, and with, with an axe, I don't know, do they have axes back then? Anyway, you know, and taking a little bit of time as you cut through there, God says, watch this, hop on this thing with me and I'll take out a bunch at a time. Uh, check this out. What a progress. Paul was consumed with the progress of the Gospel for the greater progress, this greater advance. He says, hey, I want you to know, Philippians, what are you so sad about? This is great. Yeah, I'm in jail, but look at this. Look what's happening. (laughs) It's wonderful. Um, It's well known. 
Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ. Hey, I'm in, I'm in prison here. Uh, this is for the cause of Christ. It's become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Do you like that? Well known. Uh, prisoner of Christ. I like that. Paul liked to uh, use that kind of illustration of himself. A prisoner. A prisoner of Christ. If you turn back to Ephesians, back one book, chapter 4, after he's given us three tremendous chapters of doctrine, in chapter 4 he says, Therefore, okay, because of all this, look what God has done for you. Look at this. You know, he lays it all out. Here's what God has done. He says, Therefore. Now, because of this, here's what I want you to do. And he's going to tell that. But he addresses himself as the prisoner of the Lord now, he's a bond servant. He's a slave of Christ. He says prisoner. He's a prisoner in two ways. For one thing, he's a prisoner literally in Rome as he writes Philippians. Don't you like that? But he knows he's also a prisoner of the Lord, so he uses both ways. Now he says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. <laughs> You're prisoners too. You're slaves of Christ. Now you walk like you serve Christ. Anyway, kind of interesting. Um, there's a passage that I wanted to get to. Turn back to Acts 28. I kind of forgot to go there. Is it okay to back up a little bit? I just wanted to, to show you some proof. You can say, well, how do you know he stayed two years and he was in this rented quarters? And in, in Acts 28 it tells us, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. unhindered. Uh, so he was unhindered. Remember that moving forward? Unhindered. He just, you know, despite all this, he kept cutting right on through. Um, it, it, but yet at the same time, if you look in that chapter, you see he's also in the, uh, the Praetorian God and, uh, guards and, and the prisoner um, that he is while he's in his, in his own rented quarters. So that's pretty cool. At least, you know, he's not in a damp, dark hole, you know, where there are rats running around and such, uh, which often was the case in prisons. 1 Corinthians 16.9 I'm kind of doing this out of order. I kind of forgot to go here, so sorry. Just wanted to give you some proof of how he saw this. Uh, verse 8 says, I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. Look at this. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me. A wide door has opened. And there are many adversaries. I've been hearing for the last month, God closes one door, then He opens another. People have been using that as uh, encouragement to me. And uh, I'm thanking them for that. But I know as one door is open that there can be many adversaries as that door is open. <laughs> Paul knew that. He says, this is great. That door shut. This door opened. And guess what? This is so good. And there are adversaries against it. That means the enemy knows that something is going to happen here. You know? And God is making His advancement. <laughs> yeah. First Thessalonians 2, 2. Colossians, Thessalonians... Boy, it just seems so backwards sometimes. We should have it so easy here as Christians, shouldn't we? 1 Thessalonians 2.2 2. 
But after we had already suffered and mistreated in Philippi, (laughs) that's what we're talking about, isn't it? As you know, we had the boldness in our God to speak to you the gospel of God amid much opposition. But He cuts right through it. They advanced the gospel. They furthered the gospel. Even despite the hindrances, they mowed them down. Just kept on, kept on cutting through. Uh, yeah, every time you take the gospel out, there's going to be adversaries. You know it. But don't give up. That's a good thing. So, he talks about imprisonment in the cause of Christ. He sees himself as a prisoner of Christ. He sees that he's a prisoner because he preached Christ. Right? Now we go back to our Philippians. And we really get to the goodies. And the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. It's well known. Everybody knows about this. The Praetorian Guard in Acts 28.16. And if you want to turn there, you can. And if you don't want to, I guess you're not going to anyway. You don't have to turn there, but I'll read it real quick. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. So now that gives us the proof that, yeah, he's his own ring of quarters, but there's a soldier, there's always a guard there. Um, See, that was the first anklet thing that they used to wear. They carry, you know, there they are, a chain to the guard. Now they've advanced it, and and we know through because of technology, they don't have to have the guard. They just clamp that on there, and they can't leave the house. (laughs) Technology, wonderful thing. Okay. (laughs) Throughout the whole return guard, why? Because those were the guys who were chained to him, and not only that, Paul was chained to the soldier. Soldier is chained to Paul. Soldier has to do this. Paul has a great opportunity to evangelize this guard. And I'm sure that this guard at first wanted to get away as he's chained to the apostle Paul. And you know Paul, anytime he has the opportunity, I'm sure he's going to present the gospel in the way that it should be. Can you imagine being chained to Paul and you're not a Christian? Would you be a little uncomfortable uh, unless God opens your heart? Uh, Boy, that could be heavy duty, couldn't it? Boy, what an incredible opportunity Paul has. I mean... Before, people could have just picked up and left. and, and left. Now they can't. I mean, this guy is chained to him. He's, he's still right there. And he has to respect this Paul. So, but this Praetorian Guard, they're powerful people. They have a lot of influence. They actually are bodyguards of the emperor himself. Oh, now are you catching this? These guys know the emperor. The emperor of the the whole known world. I mean, we're talking the Roman Empire. Paul has access to getting the gospel to the emperor. Now this is incredible. See what God has done here? They're powerful. They have a lot of power. Praetorian Guard does. And they can impose their will uh, on leadership. They had a lot to do with the leadership that Rome would have. Tremendously powerful men. They were the first-rate men of the Roman army. They were very important to the Roman Empire. Paul is talking to some of the elite. So when Paul arrived as a prisoner to Rome, he was put in um, 
in a place where the the prefect uh, of the Praetorian Guard was there. It was under the Praetorian Guard that he was kept the prisoner, and the opportunity is incredible. There's no argument. There's really no argument that they could give that he couldn't answer. You can imagine, but, but, yeah, but have you ever thought of this? You know, they're thinking of all of their pagan gods and such, and Paul knows how to address that, doesn't he? I mean, he has a defense of the Gospel. Remember, he's already said that? And he's been appointed to defend the Gospel. These guys, I'm sure, they had all sorts of questions and they were firing them at him and uh, pay no problem. Paul was glad to oblige. And so anyway, his message has to become believable to these guys. The impact upon Caesar's household That's what we learn in Scripture. Caesar's household was impacted. That's talking about the servants, the slaves, all of them. It was starting to fill up with saints, with believers in Caesar's household. People who worshipped pagan gods. Wow! Have you thought about this? This is why God put him in the place where he did and Paul got it. He understood He took himself out of the place and he said, okay, there's a reason why I'm here. God does these things. God is working a great work. See, where you're at right now in your life, you didn't get there because you wanted to get there. God has put you there for a reason and a purpose. And He's going to use that situation. That's how much of control that this sovereign God that we believe in has. Every aspect of your life is affected because of this great King, this great God you have. And where you're at, you might be complaining, where you're at in your life, whether it be your job or or your situation, circumstance, and whatever it is, and all you have to do is think, oh, wow, you know what? What an opportunity. Look where God has put me here in this situation to be able to give the truth of the Gospel in some manner or form. If they don't let me speak with my mouth, then I can speak with my manner of living because they're going to watch me. They're going to watch every move I make. I'll guarantee you. They know you're a Christian. Now, the sad thing is, a lot of times, we don't let people know that we are Christians. And so how is it going to make an impact if they don't know you're a Christian? So you look for that opportunity to show who you are. Yeah, it's a lot easier. Oh, it'd be better if I don't know. You know, I want to remain friends with them. Yeah, I know they're unbelievers, but hey, listen, I don't want to offend them. I just want to be a good friend. I'll never tell them about the gospel because unless it comes up, if they ask, then I'll do it. That's wrong. That's sinful. It, because the gospel is not being furthered. It's not being advanced. Shame on you. Shame on me. Get the gospel out. Look at this. It not only affected the Praetorian Guard, but did you see this at the end of verse 13? Everyone else. Who's everyone? (laughs) Everyone! We're talking about Rome here. Let's look in Acts 28-23 and let's investigate this out. Who's everyone else? Well, right at the end of Acts, we'll see a lot about this that was happening there in Rome. 23. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. Oh, that's beautiful. In lo- We're not talking two or three people here. All of a sudden, 
huge amounts of people are coming to this little rented quarters where Paul's at, where he's chained to this guard, and they're coming to hear this gospel. He was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Wow. All day long. He had a better situation. He doesn't even have to make tents, folks. All he's doing is preaching, teaching the gospel, evangelizing all day long and doing nothing else. You know what? I wouldn't mind being in a situation like that. Wouldn't be bad if I could just preach the gospel. Hey, what an opportunity. I'm not telling people to come and rest me. But <laughs> better watch what I say. But, you know, you know, if I could just do that every day, all day long, and do nothing else, I could be the most happiest person in, in all of life. <laughs> I'm telling you. Just, you guys are that way, aren't you? You've got an opportunity and people are asking and you get the chance to persuade. Wouldn't you love to do that? Isn't that what it's about? Let me tell you about it. Verse 24, Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Well, oh, that's good to know because even Paul couldn't talk everybody into it. Sure, there are people that walk away. Matter of fact, most people walk away when you give them the Gospel. But who knows what effect that will make later on down the road. We don't know. Just give them the gospel. Let God take care of it. He's the one that's going to make them born again anyway. Just give them truth. You don't have to, you know, come up with convincing situations and come up with the greatest illustrations in the world. Just tell them, hey, there's the Holy God, and uh, we are sinners, all of us. That's our very nature. That's our very characteristic. We can't do a thing about it. And here's a Holy God who desires to bring people into His kingdom, and here's how it's done. Christ was the righteous one, and He takes the place of our sinful selves and uh, we can be made righteous. Hey! You know, there's different ways to address it. Look in verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him. More and more people. They keep on coming in. Every day, constantly. He's there two years. Now I know why that court case took so long. God said, why would I want to hurry this along and get him out because he's got people coming to him. He doesn't go out, have to go out and look for him. And he can rest at the same time. And he can write and give the Gospel out. Preaching the Kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. <laughs> Do you think God made this happen? Oh, it's just a coincidence. No way. God makes these things happen. God used him to evangelize the rest of Rome. There was already a church there. But Paul gets to bring in more people. Paul understood God. Paul understood Him. He understood how He worked. Paul was confident in God, wasn't he? Okay, that's part one, folks. Okay, let's go into part two. Everybody knows that you have three points, right? <laughs> uh, last week we had two points, I think, What's the second one here? And most of the brethren, verse 14, trusting in the Lord, because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the Word of God without fear now. Ah, most of the brethren, there was hostility to Christianity at that time. 
There is hostility to Christianity in our country today, becoming more and more hostile. And of course, we know in the state workplace, we know in the public schools, you go on and on, and and, uh, the higher education, uh, you will be reprimanded if you talk about anything about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people even would wear t-shirts or have outward signs, wear crosses stuff, and people have gotten kicked out of schools and such for that, right? Okay, what's going on there? Well, uh, it's a hostile environment sometimes. Sometimes where you're at, it may not be. But many were uh, pretty quiet about the faith. Most of them probably were. They, you know, hey, look what what happened to Paul here in Philippi. I mean, you know, boy, did the persecution ever come to him? He had to get out of there. Um, hey, uh, maybe I'll just be a little quiet. Be real careful here. Just be kind of guarded. Uh, Paul says, and that most of the brethren, people who knew who he was, what was going through, whether it be in Rome or anywhere else, they're hearing about this. They're hearing about this in Philippi right now. And now all of a sudden, guess what? They become courageous. They take the fear and cast it out. They speak the Word of God without fear. When they began to see Paul and his ministry, and God provided for him, God sustained him, He supported him. Where's the food coming from? Well, they bring it on a tray. He doesn't have to cook it or anything. He doesn't have to worry about his next meal. That's going to be there. Somehow he's paying for his rented quarters. I guess... Well, you know, people contributed to him. And matter of fact, you remember uh, there is Epaphroditus who was sent by the Philippians to go to Rome to give him the collection that they had, which was more than abundant. And so he was able to be in that situation. Well, they took care of him, supported him, kept him. They gave him this incredible outreach there as he evangelized Caesar's household, the Praetorian Guard, the whole city. Uh, Rome was coming to him and most of the brethren now are hearing about this and this word for most is pleonos, which means, I mean, it might be related to our plenty if you want to think of it that way. It's talking about majority. The majority of the brethren now who are trusters in the Lord, who are believers, are speaking the Word of God without fear. Because of what Paul was doing. It not only affected the people in Rome there and the unbelievers as they were coming to him, but also believers now are being shaken up and moved because saying, hey, look at him. He's not scared at all about that. Look what God has done. He's taken care of him. He's protected him, sustained him, fed him. God protected him in every way. God watched over him. And when we start to realize that and it starts to make an impact into our little tiny brains that are sinful, we still sin, we're finite human beings, it starts to make a little connection. And we go, you know what? He always has taken care of me, hasn't He? Wow. Why would He let us down now? Paul's life made an effect on so many others. The rest of the body of Christ is now filled with courage. They're not fearing See, they were just like us. These Philippian people were just like us. Paul was like us. I mean, flesh and blood people. And then they filled with God's Word and His Spirit. Wow, they go out and proclaim it. The Gospel was making progress. People were not fearing as they proclaimed the Word. 
Paul's joy now catches on like a disease. It's contagious. And everybody else now is getting the Paul disease of evangelizing. You can never know the extent. You can never know the significance of your suffering for Christ of how many people it's going to affect. Paul didn't know how many it did. But you'll never know. Can you imagine the influence that God has made on you that's now making an influence on other people? It might be the neighbors around you. It might be your relatives, your distant relatives, relatives that live hundreds of miles from here. But uh, they might see your little tags on uh, Facebook, maybe little notes here and there. Maybe an email to them. Maybe something on the phone. They start catching what you really are about. And they start watching what you... And they may not put on their little like, or they may not even use the comment, but they're checking your little statements out. What an opportunity to advance the Gospel, right? In, in, in a lot of different ways. I'm not just saying Facebook. You don't have to Facebook, you know. But it's just another little deal that we, you know, that we can use. There's so many different ideas that can be helpful. But uh, the influence. People's, people are watching you. People are watching what you're doing. God has to put chains on us sometimes. God has to put us in prison to help other people. It encourages other people. Do you see all the reasons why Paul was put in the situation and circumstance that he has now? Have you just gained a little bit more insight than you ever had before? It's touching Praetorian Guard. It's, it's touching the emperor's household. It's touching all of Rome. It's touching about uh, all the believers. Um, they're getting courageous. And it just goes on and on. This snowball just is rolling on. It's collecting even more and more. And this is out of just a little deal about Paul being put in the situation that he was. Wow. Let's go to the last one. 15 through 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. He's talked about the other ones. They're preaching it correctly. But there's some people have the wrong motives and such. They could Now, these are not false teachers. A lot of times Paul writes about false teachers and he condemns them. You look at the book of Galatians and you'll see Paul just does not put up with false doctrine. And he'll rip it and he'll blast it. The gospel of the grace of the glory of Jesus Christ is what is to be proclaimed. Uh, and if anything is less than that, Paul will show the error. And he'll bring it forth and he'll announce it. He'll make it public. And he'll tell who is doing that. We need to know who is out teaching false doctrine. But in this case, they could sign a document with Paul and what they believed and what he believed. They're preaching Christ. But yet they're after Paul. Paul is one who's been faithful. He has preached the gospel. He is seen as a man of integrity. Uh, We see that he's very honorable in what he has done. He's very trustworthy. His ministry is impeccable. I mean, it's it's fantastic what God has done through him. So it has to hurt a little bit when somebody comes along and starts detracting from that ministry. They start saying things that are really not true. 
about that ministry. They may believe the same things you believe, but all of a sudden they start saying some things about somebody who's giving that gospel out in a faithful way. They tried to destroy the reputation of Paul. I know there were a lot of them out there. He says, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. They're tearing him down. But, you know, we see that it really doesn't bother Paul in the sense that he sees a bigger picture. I'm sure there's a, there's a sense of bothering in, in what they're doing, what they're saying, some not truths. You know, While they're preaching the Gospel, they have another agenda. It's to discredit Paul. What an opportunity now they can. Look, he's in jail. Look what we can do. We can defame him. We can accuse him, criticize him, belittle him. We can devalue. We can dishonor Paul. And that they did. Unbelievable that they'd attack the Apostle Paul in this way in the ministry that he was doing. So they try to take away his reputation. And so he mentions that in verse 15. Envy and strife is dealing with people who were opposed to Paul. Uh, they were jealous of what he was doing. They were jealous of people coming to him wanting to know what the Gospel was about. People were being converted. Paul just was faithful with the Word. He wasn't converting them. God was. We're on the same team, folks. Anybody who's preaching the Gospel in the way that it should be, the way it's supposed to be, they're on our team. They may go about it in different ways, but they're still on the same team. And as long as they're not preaching a false gospel, Paul rejoiced in the fact that the gospel was going out. That's an incredible statement thinking about uh, who he was and what all was happening here. But I I think it's incredible. Um, You know, I think there's always a potential of pride on anybody who is in any kind of ministry of their own ministry and somebody else seems to be doing more or they might have bigger numbers uh, they're doing this they're doing that and they have programs and this and that and they all can be great matter of fact uh, it's, God is blessing in a, in a huge way and it's awful easy for the sinful flesh to be prideful over your own ministry and then have envy uh, strife over other ministries that are happening out there and to actually hate other ministries. That's what was going on. They were, they were hating Paul's ministry. And it's like, why? I mean, you know, I mean, they should be rejoicing. Well, see, they wanted to be better than Paul. They wanted the attention. They wanted to be exalted and lifted up. Now, John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. I don't want to get famous out of this. It's not about me being famous. As a matter of fact, it's not about me at all. Lord, remove anything here out of the flesh that's being exalted up over who You are in Your glory. We're only here for one reason, to give glory to Him. And it's not about bringing our own little selves up in our own little ministry and our own little church and everybody gets caught up in their own little church and everybody else is wrong and and uh, you know it's, it's a good lesson for all of us um, you know we don't want to be better than other ministries we just want to fit in the niche that God has put us and say hey thank you Lord I'm glad you're doing that ministry over here we have this little deal here uh, Lord uh, just bless us in however way you want it and uh, we just want to get the gospel out and be faithful and however that uh, pans out fantastic thank you Lord uh, we just just to be a part of it. Hey, I'm just glad to be in the army. I'm glad to have the uniform on. You know what I mean? I'm just glad to be a slave. <laughs> That's really all we are. 
But sometimes we have selfish ambition, or, or these people did. They saw the opportunities to advance their own interest and influence their own ministry. People will put their names up there on it and be proud of that. They're self-seeking. Um, the message was right. The motive was wrong. That's what Paul has an issue with. But at the same time, um, hey, you know, I, I think about, hey, if, if I preach the Word and people say, oh man, that, that guy really knows the Word of God and, uh, or, or that guy uh, just, just as... You know, they start uh, adoring the person and what they're doing. Well, God uses a lot of... Uh, uh, there are a lot of great men of God up there that I read books from. You know, I, I put them up on, you know, in, in a sense, a pedestal, but not really. Not one, I know they're just men. But they're men I've learned a great deal from. And I'm thankful for them. But those guys didn't want to be put on a pedestal. They didn't want to be known as as some great men. They just were there pushing forth the gospel. So if if anybody does anything to bring attention to themselves and people say, Oh, how wonderful they are and everything, you know, just because of that, then it's the wrong motive. Um, and, and it becomes a, a prideful situation. The flesh loves to rear its ugly head and bring that up. Um, and that's what happened to these guys right here. Uh, they were preaching the same thing that Paul was preaching. Only um, they were running him down. They had wrong motives. It was not for advancing the Gospel ultimately, even though it was. It was doing that. But it was kind of about themselves. And they wanted to build their own name. They wanted to have more converts so their name would look bigger and they'd be become more famous and they'd become more influential. Boy, that happens today, doesn't it? It's always happened. Always will. Um, hey, and there's nothing wrong with growing in numbers. That's just fantastic. That God is doing that? Well, super. You know, as long as God's doing it, um, that's the idea. We're just being faithful to the Word. Well, what do we have? They They were rubbing... Uh, against what Paul was doing uh, from envy and strife. and um, They were even causing distress. I'm dropping down to verse 17 because I'm going to get to another group here. Uh, verse 17, The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than pure motives. There's our ambition. There's the motives. Thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Philipsis. It can mean pressure against you or it can mean friction. A friction. They, they wanted to just rub him till they would cause such an irritation. They were adding to his chains. Friction. You know, the chains that are on the wrist, let's say, or on, on the feet, the ankles, what have you. And it's, it's almost like a, a picture, a word picture there as you keep doing that, you know, and you're going to rub some skin off and cause fire. <laughs> That's the way that they were trying to do that on him as you look at that word. They were trying to attack whoever was on top. So anyway, selfish desire. They wanted to, they craved the honor. Desire for him, uh, the prominence, the preeminence and such. And it was out of wrong pretense. It was in pretense. But, you know, God is amazing. He takes somebody that's actually preaching the gospel that is offered in the right way, but in the wrong motive, and He's still going to use it. God can do what He wants. 
Okay, Paul's in prison. I'm going to continue to use it. There's a lot of people out there preaching it correctly and have the right motives. There's some others that are preaching it correctly but wrong motives. I'm still going to advance it. And, and so he did. But on the other hand, he has the supporters. It's not just Paul out there preaching the Gospel anyway, is it? Um, we look in 15, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from Indians' right, but some also from goodwill. The latter, the ones who do it out of goodwill, do it out of love. And they do it because I'm appointed for the defense of the Gospel. God appointed Paul to defend that. Paul put him in that place where he's at. Not by accident. Goodwill. They do it from goodwill. Uh, uh, Truly, uh, a great biblical word. Udakia. It means they're satisfied with their lives. Uh, uh, They're satisfied with Paul towards him. They're content with what God is doing in their lives. They're content now with what God is doing in Paul's life. Their motive is pure. Uh, they're not only content with um, their own lives, but uh, all the situations where they're, they're put at, they're satisfied with that. They're grateful. They're generous. So the latter do it out of love. And they're doing it out of goodwill. Love. Some of those people who were the brethren, uh, they were preaching Christ. They were brothers of Paul. I mean, they, they really knew Paul. Uh, they became bold by the imprisonment of Paul. They're preaching Christ out of love. The defense of the Gospel. It says in um, at the end of verse 16, I am appointed for the defense of the Gospel. He was as much on duty to defend the Gospel as a Roman soldier was on duty to be the guard who was chained to him. And not only the Romans put him there, but God put that guard to be there. The word there can mean destined. So if we combine it, we could say, they love me and they have good will toward me. And he says, they know that I have been destined to be on duty for the defense of the Gospel. Now, we get to the, the best part. And I didn't make this up. Scripture is always Scripture. And the chief end of man is to glorify God. Well, that is how you want to look at everything that is going on in your life. It's how you want to look at every passage in the Bible when it's all said and done. Let's sum it up. How often does this happen? It's about the glory of God. What then? Hey, we're in the last verse. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. After it's all said and done, he says, here's what's all this. Why do we do this? Why do we do ministry? Why do we worship God? Why are we in the situations that we're in? Favorable, non-favorable. Why? Why? Why, God? Right here. Christ be proclaimed. For the glory of God. One thing matters to me, Paul says. There's one thing. It's that the furtherance of the Gospel happens. The greater progress of the Gospel. It's not about me and my little deal around here in in Jefferson City, Missouri. 
around surrounding areas. It's not about me. And let's just expand this on out. Let's play Louis Giglio and let's go on out into the universe. And let's go out to the end of the universe which you can't even see. Where's it at? How, what, what all does it do, right? You get excited about that. It's not about me when you start looking back at little earth and then how small little earth is and how small where we're at and how small we really are. It's not about me. Man, it's not about you. It's not about any person. It's all about God and His Gospel. Because God is the Gospel. Whatever method, whatever motive, whatever it is, God even uses pretense. God even uses hypocrisy. Whatever their motive is, God can still use it. Wow. But He sure uses truth. That's, that's what the idea is. And we worship in spirit and truth. Those who preach truth with true intent, that's the bottom line. That's what we want. Christ is proclaimed. That is what it's about. Cat angelo, according to the message, the good news. To proclaim with authority is the idea of that. To proclaim with absolute authority. Christ is to be proclaimed with authority. I have no authority. I stand here today. I have no authority. You say, well, you're the pastor of the church. I don't have any authority because I'm a pastor or I teach or any other reason. Nobody else in here has authority. But the Word of God is the authority That's our authority. And whenever the Word of God is preached, God and His Spirit is behind it, that's what we can say is we're preaching with authority. The Word of God is there. It's the backbone. It's the power. And with the power of God's Spirit, it changes lives. So with the authority, uh, the only authority that we have is this right here. And uh, what an opportunity it is to proclaim that no matter where we're at. Um, Christ, Christ being proclaimed. A preacher that has a jealous, envious, selfish motive can still be used of God. He can't be used of God as much as God would want to use him. But even uh, when his, uh, God can use Balaam. Remember that donkey? He, he had him talking, did he not? Wow. Truth is more powerful than the package it comes in. doesn't matter whether it's spoken by Balaam's donkey. The truth is the truth. You can put the Word of God and the saving Gospel in the mouth of a man who has bad motives and God can use it. That's how sovereign it is. You think He'd just wipe him out. Thankful that He doesn't because sometimes our flesh comes into play anyway even if we don't know it. Even at our best, when we're on our knees, when we're praying, did you know that our motives can be wrong? Even when we're praying to God and we're there legitimately pouring it out, we can still have the flesh come in and corrupt that prayer. But listen, the truth is the truth. The truth is powerful. There was a commentator that said, lies in the Gospel. The power lies in the Gospel. Not the gospeler. It's this. It lies in what is preached. Not in the preacher. 
That is where it is. It, it, it's laying right there. It's, it's, there's the power. The listener here is only the, uh, only the preaching. He, he doesn't see the motive. Paul says, look, I'm not concerned about me. I know you're concerned about me and I thank the Lord for you and praise God for that, but listen, I'm expendable. I committed myself to Christ and I just thank God that Christ is being preached. I'm just so glad that those enemies of me are out there preaching Christ and God is using that. Uh, They're not preaching Buddha. They're not preaching Hinduism and all sorts of other false stuff, all those false gods, but they're preaching Christ. Everything that Paul did was not for his credit. It was never for his credit. It was all about Jesus Christ and His glory. He didn't care what happened to him. There's a sense that, yeah, we were to take care of ourselves, but at the same time, he knew life was not about him and he was secure right in the hands of God. He knew who he was in Christ. He knew who God was, who God was as far as his character, his nature. He knew the promises. And that's what it's about. No matter what comes along in our lives. He didn't care to the extent that he started worrying about every little detail that came along in his life. He just lived for the Gospel. The greater progress of the Gospel. That's the attitude that we want to look at. That's dying to self, folks. And it's a lifetime thing. We're working at it because God is working in us. But He's changing our wills every day as... Uh, we desire, as we say, as for me and my house, I want to serve the Lord, right? I'm going to do that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your powerful Word. The Word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It comes in and convicts us and shows us where we need to be changed. And there's a constant change in us. We haven't arrived yet. We're thankful that Your Word, though, ever lives. And Your Spirit is coming in our own lives. And we pray that we'd be obedient, that we'd desire to let You work Your work in us so that we'd bring glory to You, that we would see that the Gospel is not hindered, but it moves right on through in our lives. And how we live, how we act, how we speak, every aspect of our lives, You are desiring to control. You are the Master, we are the slaves, and we submit to You. And that is a privilege that we would have that honor. In Jesus' name, Amen.